Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another brilliantly sunny day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Toby McCartney, founder and managing director of McCreeber. Toby, hello. Hello there. Thank you for having me on board. Well, thank you for coming. Um, I have to say... Reading over what your company does, I am quite impressed. Now, you came up with the idea uh, for this on a charity mission to India. Tell me how this came to be. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've been very lucky in my in my business life. I've, I've managed to, to travel with business. And um, one of the places I've been to a number of times is India. Um, and I was fascinated by the, the ingenuity, really, of the, the people that I was working with. Um, they... Uh, the, the people that I was working with were were classed as pickers. Um, now, a picker's job is to go to landfill sites and pick out various different items to recycle. So they would pick out crisp packets and um, uh, juice carton packets and sew them together and form purses and wallets. And I thought this was, was this was amazing, really. Um, you know, the stuff that we were throwing away, they were able to recycle. And... Um, one of the things I saw them doing was was putting waste plastics that they were picking out from landfill into potholes. And then they poured diesel all over it and lit it, and all the sort of plastics were melting down to form a seal in the hole. Um, and again, I thought this was absolutely brilliant, knowing the number of potholes that we have in the <laughs> UK. Um, <laughs> I thought, well, I may as well replicate what they're doing because we have waste plastics here. We have potholes here. Um, unfortunately, it turns out that our local authorities frown upon us putting things into potholes and <laughs> sort of setting them alight. So I had to think again. Well, the, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, people forget that most synthetic plastics are petroleum-based, uh, which, yeah, of right. course, most yeah. macadam and tar is. Um, so... Going forward, and obviously you just said that you had a, a bit of a hang-up with local councils. Obviously, you needed to shepherd uh, your company through these processes. Uh, what is your personal leadership style getting the company forward? Yeah, really, we're, we're, we are here to disrupt for good. And um, really, we're, we're disrupting two industries. So the, the, the way that we recycle at the moment, um, and you know, usually traditional recycling is turning... Um, plastics, food-grade plastics, back into food-grade plastics. Um, and, and obviously, we don't do that. And then on the other side, we've got the, the poor quality of asphalt that we see on so many of our of our roads networks. Um, so we're here to disrupt for good. And um, with that comes a, um, a leadership style that is, is there to look for things that we can make better. So our, our business is based around not really creating anything new, but looking for for ways to make the world a better place. Um, you know, our mission is uh, is to help end the plastic epidemic that we live through. And so when we lead people through our company and we, um, and, you know, we employ people, we, we very much look for people with the same values that, that we live by, um, wanting to do good for the world. Now, you've grown quite rapidly. What are the challenges in managing a rapidly expanding workforce? Yeah, there are there are many of them. <laughs> Whether whenever you involve um, lots of people in in one area or, or one company, um, there are there are lots of different challenges to overcome. 
One of the biggest one, I, I think, is uh, is we've sort of flipped around our values. So, you know, in the usual corporation, they come up with a, a list of values that their staff should have to adhere to. Um, so, you know, most of those are taken from Google, to be honest. But um, <laughs> we decided that we would flip that on its head. And rather than our staff meeting our corporate values, our corporate would meet their values. So we would find out specifically what's important to them. And we try our very best through our company to meet what's important to them. So, you know, to give you a little example, um, for my PA, it's important to her that she is there to pick up her kids in the morning and she's um, there to, to pick them back up from school in the afternoon. So we don't stick to a traditional nine to five um, employment hours. She might be working at seven o'clock in the evening if she chooses. Um, and as long as the work's done, then she's quite happy and we're quite happy. Um, and she gets to live the life that she likes around the work rather than the work being around the life. It sounds um, like you've so, uh, founded a very people-centric workforce. Um, yeah, well, yeah, well, I, I think it's, it's very important to um, treat people in in the way that you wish to be treated, so that they'll. And what we found by doing that is they stick with us for longer, um, and they work harder for us because we're meeting their values rather than them just meeting ours. Now, in the vein of treating people the way that you wish to be treated, going back. Was there an individual who you worked for or with who founded this idea in you? Well, my mentor and, and really someone that I admired um, from six years old. I had my first business when I was, when I was, believe it or not, six years old. So, um, and I wrote to my mentor and, and thankfully he wrote back and, um, and that's Sir Richard Branson. Um, and I've, I've been very lucky to, um, you know, I, I won a competition with him with, with the McCreeva vision. Um, but also, um, I've been very lucky to, to meet with him a number of times and, um, and, and, you know, his, his sort of mentality and his ethos, um, as I see as the, the, the governor, if you like, of the entrepreneurs is, um, is one that, that I, I take on myself. So uh, that is actually a very interesting point that you bring up. Uh, Richard Branson, as an example in leadership, what can others learn from him uh, that will make them more successful in their workplace? Well, I think, you know, I, I expected when I first met Sir Richard Branson to, um, to learn from him what I'd learned in many of the, the business books that are out there or the How to Be an Entrepreneur books. Um, and the one thing that I learn from him that I carry forward, and I think if everybody were to learn this, that goes into their own business or, um, or, or even works for a company, the, the one thing that I got from him, and this isn't going to sound very inspiring, I'm sure, um, but he's just a bloke. Um, he's just a bloke doing something that he loves. And um, you don't have to be a bloke, of course. You could be a, a girl as well. That's, uh, that's grand. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, what I think he gets right from my learning from him is he's just himself. He's, um, he's, you know, there's no sort of, um, high powered entrepreneur or there's no, um, you know, there's no sort of mask over him mm -hmm. just being, um, being Richard and, and me being Toby. And I think if we could all just find out who we are and be comfortable with who we are and find that purpose that we have in life, 
and and live to that purpose, then I think the world would be a, a, a much better place, and our leaders would be would be far more congruent in their leadership than than many of them currently are. So, in essence, be yourself. I think that's um, as I say, that doesn't sound very motivational, but um, but I think that it's such a hard thing for many people to find. Absolutely, is is, is to try and live by that being yourself. Well, because that is enough. To be fair, Toby, I could speak with you all day and we have to have you back on the show soon to uh, to hear more from you. But we're running very close to time. Um, yeah. Just before you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for McCreeber? Um, well, the next uh, part for McCreeber really is um, we set up the McCreeber Foundation. So we're now looking to, um, to the, the litter pickup groups that are all around the world. Um, so that we can take out more plastics from our oceans, uh, more plastics from our environment, and use them to enhance the roads that we that we're in, um, as well as creating factories, um, mixing and blending plants around the world, so that we can use local waste for local roads. So that's really where it's at. And obviously, that would cut down on the need to uh, transport it, causing more uh, environmental uh, stray. Um, that. Well, Toby, thank you very much for coming on the show. Like I said, you have to come back and uh, and give us a bit more of your insight. Uh, it's been an absolute thank pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Toby McCartney, founder and managing director of McCreeber. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup Final, Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did... Uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time mm. being stuck between the two sports and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer but um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in when you were at West Ham uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach 
he had worked with. He worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people 
and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... 
I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Uh, um, it did again, if, you put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, Stoke. 
and of course into the England fans who um, I, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration um, you, but, you don't but, have to but I will well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field, surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Al or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, is straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking. Um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think 
that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at that, so many, many, and that's why we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. the word is te- the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't? go without in terms of leading a team no matter what that team is single mindedness single mindedness dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if it's these top managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company, or subsidiaries. 
members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.